Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I'm Sam North. Inspiration is one of the best ways to transform. Conversations with Leaders is a bi-weekly interview with key industry players, CEOs, financial authors, and professional money managers worldwide. Get valuable insights from the people who've seen it all. Are you ready? Here we go. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. A huge part of successful investing is to have a psychological mindset. How are you going to deal with loss? How are you going to deal with wins and profits? When I first started, I went dead broke after selling a company for millions. If you're careful about money management, it's almost impossible to lose all of your money and you will build wealth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Conversations with Leaders. My name is Sam North, a market analyst here at eToro, and I'm happy to be your host today. We have a really exciting topic and fascinating guest for you all. We are joined by James Altucha, who is an author, entrepreneur, investor, trader, and even chess master. Our subject for this episode is focusing on how we can learn from failure. We, of course, all experience failure at points in our lives, and James is no different. But what he has gone on to achieve from his setbacks is truly remarkable. James, thank you for joining the conversation today. But first of all, how are you? Good, Sam. And and again, it's such a pleasure to come on your show. I've been a follower of eToro's adventures since its inception, and I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you. Amazing. And where are you uh, tuning in from today? Well, I am about an hour north of a city called Atlanta in the United States. Amazing. Well, look, great to, to have you. Our, our first question, uh, throughout your journey, you've mentioned that you started off as a bad investor, but still have gone on to achieve remarkable success. Can you give us a little bit of a summary of, of that journey? Sure. I mean, I, I think when anyone starts, they're a bad investor. Investing is a difficult skill. Uh, you you need to understand not only about the markets and the economy and an enormous amount of information about individual companies, but you also need to understand yourself. Investing is a a huge part of successful investing is to have a psychological mindset. How are you going to deal with loss? How are you going to deal with wins and profits? How, what, you know, what do you do about position size and risk and what sort of rewards you're looking for? How do you get up the next day after you had a, a significant loss the day before? And on and on. There's this. I didn't realize this when I began investing. And particularly, I, I started off as a day trader. I then be, uh, turned into a hedge fund, then a fund of hedge funds. I also was writing about different investing strategies. I wrote several books about the investment, strat- investment strategies I was using. I wrote columns for the Financial Times, for the Wall Street Journal, for Yahoo Finance. And a lot of it was not just about oh, here's what Apple's earnings are, X, Y, Z, but here's how to deal with failure and investing because I failed many times. I mean, I went when I first started, 
I went dead broke after selling a company for millions. I went dead broke from, I'd like to say I bought all sorts of great things, but it was really from initial investing. And I had to sit down and learn what I went wrong and how to improve. I became obsessed with improvement. And what I discovered along the way just changed my life, not only my investing, but but my whole life. Yeah, it's really impressive the, the journey you've been on. And, and I think in general, failure is often overlooked with most people only really talking about their success. However, and you just mentioned it there, you talk about failure in a really impressive way. How does failure in general foster innovation and push boundaries? And also, how can individuals and actually organizations embrace failure for growth and improvement? Yeah, it's it's a great two-part question. The, the first thing is, is that you know, you have two choices when confronted with failure. And a failure could be anything. You you didn't win a, a competition or a job fell apart, a, a relationship fell apart. But, you know, we're talking about investing, so it could be a single trade didn't work as you expected or or you went broke like, like I did initially. And, you know, how does it encourage innovation? Well, again, you could you could look at failure in two ways. You could take ownership of it or you could not. Like, Initially, this is over 20 years ago, I, you know, I, I didn't, so, didn't do so well when I was initially trading and uh, people were telling me, oh, you should sue your broker. People are making money suing the broker. And I'm like, no way, I am not going to do that. I, you have to take ownership of your mistakes. You have to say, this was my mistake because that's the beginning of a very exciting quest. And the quest is, to reach this holy grail of being a top performer at whatever whatever skill it is that you love. And, and I love investing and I love learning about investing. So I took it upon myself to say, where did I go wrong? And again, not just in terms of the skill of trading, which is very difficult to learn, but also the mindset and the psychology. But in terms of the skill, where it encourages an innovation is it forced me to learn every style of investing, not just, oh, Let's buy some value stocks or, oh, I heard this growth stock is going to go through the roof. But you have to learn all about arbitrage, options investing, you know, convertible investing, uh, uh, mer- you know, private equity investing, venture capital investing. There's many, many different categories of investing. You could study the greats like Warren Buffett, John Templeton, Bernard Baruch, going all the way back, or, or even current investors who are, you know, I would follow every single successful hedge fund and what we're trying to reverse engineer their strategies. So this led me to doing a fund of hedge funds because I ultimately did due diligence on over a thousand hedge funds and had to learn deeply all of their investing styles. And at the same time, I was writing about investing. So that forced me to learn even more about all, not just individual companies, but different strategies you know, related to investing. And and again, I was an investor. So I had, as Nassim Taleb would put it, I had skin in the game where it wasn't just important for me to learn so I could write about it. I had to actually do it. And I was doing it for other people and other managing other people's money. So I really had to dive deep and it was a very hard process. I also wrote software to to help me invest. I, I, I This is over 20 years ago, so not that many people were doing it. I was doing a lot of automated, let's say AI-based training just to I'm afraid to use a hype word, but but there it is. It was an AI-based trading system that I had built. And again, that's what encourages innovation is when you dive deep, immerse yourself in something so you know more than just about anybody 
and you combine ideas in ways that haven't been done before. And that's really, you, you have to be unique. You're competing against the entire world when you, when you invest. So you have to really have a unique approach. And, and I feel I did that. And again, part two is mindset. I had to really understand within myself, was I self-sabotaging? How do I deal with failure? How do I deal with misery? I mean, I was miserable. I went broke and, and, you know, I had to bounce back from that and it was very difficult. I've said this to you before, James, but I'm pretty sure you had more than the standard 24 hours in a day with, with what you've achieved. Um, let's talk a little bit about losing and why it's such an integral part of actually achieving long-term success in investing. Why do you consider it important to actually understand that losses are part of the game? They are part of investing and how can it impact one's approach? I mean, I wish loss wasn't really part of the investing game. Like I regret every loss I've had. People say, oh, I have no regrets because I wouldn't be the person I am today. Well, I wish I was the, I could have been the person I am today without having any loss because loss was, was miserable. But the reality is when you make an investment, you start off making the investment, you know, you do a lot of research, you say, oh, this is a good investment. But A, you could be wrong about some of the things you think you know. B, unexpected things can happen. Like, for instance, if you invest in a stock, the stock market could crash uh, just as part of the economic cycle. C, there could be unknown things that happen. Like I was investing through 9-11. I couldn't have expected that morning, 7.45 a.m. that morning, I was buying NASDAQ futures. An hour later, the you know World Trade Center, three blocks away from where I was, where I had just eaten breakfast, by the way, was hit. And of course, it was a horrible day, but things like that, you cannot plan in your investing, of course. And then there are things that are just, you know, out of your control completely. I mean, that was out of my control, but many things could happen there that you don't know, that you don't understand. So losses will happen. And you, you know, we all know the reward is there for investing. We all know it. Otherwise, nobody would do it. But I think many people don't take into account the risk. So reward and understanding the reward, that's 3% of the game. And the other 97% of the game is mitigating the risk. How do you mitigate risk? With knowledge. You mitigate risk with mindset. You mitigate risk with uh, money management, like how much, given the reward and given the risk, how much should you put towards any specific investment? And that changes per style of investing. And on and on. Learning about risk is the most important thing you could do as an investor, as an entrepreneur, as a human being, really. So we, we've evolved to be, you know, specialists in risk management. But I think things are so easy in our lives right now because of technology that we have often forgotten uh, risk management in our lives. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, risk management is just so key, whether that be for investing or trading. Um, it's it's right up there. Self dis uh, self awareness, discipline, risk management. I would say the number one job for an investor is risk management. Like sometimes I would visit hedge funds and everybody had a director of risk management. Oh, so-and-so has a PhD in risk management, blah, blah, blah. And I could tell if somebody just had that person there so it would look good or if they really used what that person was saying. Uh, and, and, you know, risk management is, is very important. And also I, I do have to repeat again that psychology and mindset is important. Like, do you, do you hide under the bed and cry when you lose money, which, by the way, I would often do? Or do you kind of, 
you know, how do you respond to loss is, is very important because in many aspects of life, we don't celebrate our wins, but we just are miserable about our losses. And that's a really kind of a funny thing that, oh, we kind of expect wins to happen. But when a loss happens, it's like the worst thing in the world. And, and just how do you, how do you, again, mitigate that reaction is very important for, for investing and entrepreneurship and so on. Yeah, for sure. And actually, let's just move over to sort of the mindset. And you've openly discussed mental health and emotional well-being multiple times. I mean, what practices or strategies have you found that are effective in sort of maintaining mental and emotional resilience in investing or trading or business in general? Uh, it's such a great question, and there's not a simple answer, but I'll be as concise as possible. There's several layers. One is, how are you taking care of yourself? Like, if you're, if you're, you know, so I have four categories. Are you taking care of yourself physically, emotionally, creatively, and even spiritually? So physically, if you're sick in bed and you're losing money, you're going to be miserable. So you have to focus on diet, exercise, sleep. Emotionally, if you are arguing with all your friends and your spouse, and then you, you know, lose money on top of that, you're just, you're not going to be able to bounce back as well. So how are you cultivating and nurturing the most important relationships in your life? Creatively, when I lose money, I try to be as creative as possible. Like what, where, analyzing, where did I go wrong? How could I have been better? Maybe I didn't go wrong and just things happen. What I'm, I'm constantly developing new strategies for investing. And there's always exciting new strategies out there. We, it's a very complex world investing never stops. There's always innovation and, and new things to study and new things to learn. And spiritually, doesn't mean go to church the next day. Although I could tell you when I was in the middle of a trade and the trade was going in against me, I would get on the floor and pray, but that never helped. I could tell you for sure. But you know, how do you surrender to the fact that, hey, this happens and now I have to move on? That's a, that's a spiritual aspect is being able to surrender to things you can't control. And so on the one hand, there's just taking care of this basic foundation. The other thing is, is that understand, you know, celebrating your wins too. That's very important so that you, if you, if you're just miserable on your losses, you're withdrawing emotion from the emotional bank account. You have to put emotion back in on your successes and congratulate yourself and, and so on. And, and, and again, knowing, reminding myself, yes, I could bounce back from this. I've bounced back before. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this. I'm gonna find new strategies. This is just part of the game. But that means you have to be very careful about money management. You can't you have to you can't put all of your eggs in one basket. For instance, depending on the strategy, you can't you know buy you know buy a call on an out of the money call and expect it to go 500. percent It could lose all of your money. You can't short a very volatile stock it could get bought out the next day and you and i've known people go broke from from shorting and and placing too big a bet you know short selling so there's lots of ways you could lose all of your money if you're not careful about money management if you're careful about money management it's almost impossible to lose all of your money and you will build wealth purely on the basis of successful money management yeah it's so funny also on the spiritual side i spoke to so many traders who, if they're close to losing a trade, will stand up and, and not breathe until uh, the market goes with them. And I also know some traders that will not make a decision if their resting heart rate is above a certain level, which is just fascinating. Um, you mentioned a little bit about... That, that is fascinating. They would actually monitor their heart rate because I remember I would... Again, I'm talking about 20, 22 years ago when I started day trading. 
I would put on a trade. And if the NASDAQ futures would even go one tick against me, I could feel all the blood in my body just like pumping, like boom, 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 boom. And it's fascinating that people would actually manage their heart rate and, and you know, do decision making on the basis of that. Again, decision making, there's a lot of different models for making decision, but but managing risk is a is a very important one. Also, very important. You don't have to put on a, a trade or investment if is that if there's not a, a clear sign that this is that this is good. Like if it you know, if it's not a hell yeah, then it's a no in terms of an investment decision. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone who's traded the Nasdaq futures will, will certainly have experienced that before. Um, you've talked a little bit about investing styles and strategies and how you're looking to develop them even now. What what strategy would you say you prefer the most and, and, and reason for that? And, and what sort of it does it entail and how come you do favor it? You know, it's a great question because there's no, it really depends on um, perspectives like, you know, time horizons, and what types of reward I want. So I, the best strategy I do is to diversify good, successful investment strategies. So for instance, I like private investing, investing in private companies, because that's potentially the greatest reward. Now it's it's very high risk, and you ha- and also there's no liquidity, so you have to be very, very careful about money management. So on the one hand, private investing, I think, has been the most successful for me in terms of building wealth, investing in private companies that then the, you know, get bigger and so on. And I have a, a particular methodology for that that's actually quite simple. And then on the stock investing side, mm. there's all sorts of strategies. I mentioned before, growth, value, and so on. But if you want good, consistent returns, but it's a boring strategy, is investing in closed-end funds that are trading at a statistically significant larger discount to net asset value than they normally do. So this is the most boring strategy for good, consistent, 10 to 15% solid returns. But again, there's many strategies in between. So I like, on the one hand, the private equity style of investing or venture capital style investing where reward is significant, but risks are also great. I also like this, what I call closed-end fund arbitrage style investing. But in the middle, it's very exciting to invest in in a combination of growth and value investing where you feel, oh, here's an industry that is growing 4X per year, four times per year, and people don't realize it yet because it's still small. Like maybe genomics, people don't realize 10 years from now we're going to be curing every disease from innovations in genomics and CRISPR and so on. And so it's interesting to look for companies that might be in a weird way deep value now because people don't understand uh, the growth potential and how big this is going to be in 10 years. I also like value investing where you look at what what stocks are trading below their liquidation value. That normally doesn't happen in a bull market, but we've seen in this bear market that that's happened uh, quite a few times. It happened in 2020 as well. It happened in 2008. I wrote about it in 2002. There were tr- companies that were profitable that were trading less than the cash they had in the bank. I had never seen that before, but Benjamin Graham talks about investing that way in the depression. And again, I find that a lot of investors, and I'm talking both short-term traders and long-term investors, haven't really studied the history of investing. So one thing about learning every investing style is it's very important to understand what really happened in the South Sea bubble. What really happened in the Tulip bubble? How did someone like Bernard Baruch uh, make his money 
in the early 1900s. What really happened when the depression was going on for so long? Were, were, did the market just go straight down or were there periods of up and down? And, and what did those look like? So, so again, just to summarize, I think the best investment strategy is, is diversification of other successful investment strategies. And for me, I really like venture capital style investing as an angel investor. I really like for conservative investing, closed end fund arbitrage. But I also enjoy uh, uh, you know, a combination of growth and value investing. And to conclude, though, I would say very important investors understand the history of investing. What actually happened in, and again, what actually happened in the various bubbles of history, the South Sea bubble, the, the internet bubble, the, the tulip bubble, uh, you know, the, the, junk, the junk bond debt bubble that happened in the 80s. So understand that I find many investors don't understand the history of investing. How did Bernard Baruch make his money? How did John Templeton, Warren Buffett, Benjamin Graham make his money? As I mentioned earlier about Benjamin Graham, like these give indications that these are, these are the greatest of all time. How did they develop their expertise? And understanding that's a very important part of my journey towards becoming a good investor. And it's a journey that never ends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just mentioned a couple of the goats there and, and one thing that they would have had in common is is how they sort of take, you know, have balance with their calculated risks and, and, and manage any potential failures. When it comes to that for yourself and that decision making process, do you follow a specific framework, you know, when it comes to these these risks? Uh, well, it depends on the strategy. So, uh, you know, A, how what is the process for making an investment decision on each strategy? I would never say I would never just read a newspaper and it says, oh, it looks like this stock is undervalued. And so and so from Fidelity says this about this. I would never take something from a newspaper and say, oh, I should buy this stock because by the point by the time it's in a newspaper and it's a cliche to say this, yeah. everyone in the world knows about it. And if everybody in the world's already in the stock, the stock's going to go down because there's only people left to sell. And. Uh, but I do have a very specific methodology. So I mentioned, for instance, angel or venture capital investing. For me, it's a very simple process. I know that I'm kind of an idiot in most areas of life. So if I'm going to look at a private investment, I have to see that someone smarter than me is also going into that investment. So And, the, and they're investing side by side with me because I know I will not do as good due diligence as someone who's an expert in the field. Like if I'm, if I'm investing in biotech, I don't know anything about biotech. So I need to see that super successful biotech investors are also going into the deal at the same terms that I am, because I know they've got 20 PhDs on their staff doing the research, doing the due diligence and so on. And this allows me, you know, Warren Buffett always says, only invest in what you know. And that's a great approach, but I like to diversify a little bit more so the way I'm able to do that is piggybacking on the intelligence of great investors who are smarter than me in a specific area. Now, I also mentioned earlier closed-end fund arbitrage. Well, I have, you know, a lot of experience in this over the past 15 years. I, I you know, a closed-end fund usually invests in lots of bonds. So I will look at the, you know, what's happening with these bonds. Uh, why might be the closed-end fund be trading at a statistically significant? discount to its normal uh, net asset value. So that's a lot of loaded terms there. But 
I understand what does it mean for something to be statistically significant, unusual, you know, have some unusual statistical properties. Why that might that be? I look at the underlying debt that they own. Will did that be paid back? How much leverage they use and so on. So I, for every, this is not to say these are the only two strategies, but I'm trying to express how for every strategy, I do have a model for how I invest in that strategy. If it's a value stock and it's only trading at five times earnings, why is it trading at five times earnings? What are its competitors trading at? What problems might it have? Is it in the penalty box for some reason? Like they switch CFOs or CEOs and you know the stock market tends to put some stocks in the penalty box when there's what appears to be bad news. So I have to understand, is it really bad news or is it just a normal, or was it actually good news? Did they change CEOs because now they have a better CEO? So again, for each style of investing, you want to have a very thorough, well thought out model. And you, by again, by studying the greats that have existed in the past, you see what their well-thought-out models were. And it, it could be very different than what exists now, but it's always interesting to learn, you know, the, the stories of the past. Yeah, and it just shows the importance of, of having that strategy. Um, just to sort of moving on here and considering the significant impact of AI that we've seen in the world, um, I'd like to connect it to your book, Reinvent Yourself, where you discuss the importance of continuous reinvention. How can individuals embrace change and reinvent themselves in a constantly evolving professional landscape? You know, it's very interesting that I recently spoke at a, a, a business slash entrepreneurial conference in Norway and another one in New York City. And I found that abroad, you know, when I was speaking and I was listening to the other speakers, of course, there are a lot of challenges in the world, you know, climate change, gender inequality. Uh, and again, whether you believe in, in certain aspects of these things or not, these are issues that people discuss. Uh, uh, will Is AI a good force for the world? Is it a negative force for the world? And so on. And at one conference, the one that I spoke at abroad, Everybody was looking for the opportunity. Yes, there are problems. Yes, AI might take certain jobs. Yes, AI, you know, if you believe in science fiction movies, might turn its guns on humans and take over the world or whatever. But I found that in, you know, the correct approach is to, to look for the opportunity in even the biggest societal problems. And I found that to be more true when I was speaking abroad than when I was speaking in New York City. Like somehow the media in the U.S. tend to look at things in a very negative light, like, oh, AI combined with biotech could create a virus that's going to kill everybody in the world. And I'm sitting there thinking, actually, the more likely thing that will happen is that AI combined with biotech you know, cures cancer, cures every disease in the world. And now I'm not that optimistic, but nor should I be pessimistic. Like right now, AI is the most significant advancement since, you know, the popularization of the internet in terms of increasing the productivity of the entire planet, which, which means everybody, people should view AI not as a competitor uh, to, to human activities, but as an assistant. AI will make your job better. Well, James, on that note, we're going to wrap it there for today. But thank you very much for joining us. I'm sure our audience would have found it super useful. And please do remember for those listening or watching at home to like, share and subscribe and we'll see you soon.
You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.